Well, so what do you want this morning? You want food, right? You want sleep? Anybody want sleep? Some of us, we want health. We want health today. We want a better situation health-wise than we currently have. Some of us want some more wealth. We got some things we need to pay off. We got some things that are on our, on our to-do list, on our to-want list. Uh, some of us really, really want, if, if there was one thing that we could ask of God, it's some popularity. Okay? Some of us ache for the acceptance of others. Some of us today, they were to ask one thing of God. They say, God, I just want to be loved. Church, what if, what if chasing after the things that we want are the very things that are keeping us from what we need? What if that's true? The psalmist says in Psalm uh, 27 to God, God, there is one thing that I ask for, one thing that I seek. God, I seek to be in your presence. I want to seek your face. I want to receive your grace because I desperately need it today. God, I seek to just sit at your feet and to be taught your will. Everything else takes care of itself. To which Jesus, Jesus himself, the Son of God, would tell us in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness in your life today. All these other things, they'll be taken care of. All right? Because there's a God in heaven and in you, if you're a believer, who loves you more than you could ever think or imagine. And he wants to pour out his blessings, but he understands timing and he understands what's the right thing for you, not just the thing that you want. He knows what you most need. Now, this idea is foreign to many of us today. It's foreign to many of us in the world today. And it's probably foreign to us because of this one reason. The very reason that the Israelites struggled in the wilderness. This one reason is this. We have lived as slaves our whole lives. Slaves to ourselves. Slaves to sin. And we do not know how to live in freedom. We don't. We're chained. Let's just talk about the elephant in the room. All right? That's all of us. We are all chained. And we don't even realize it. We are going on a sermon series uh, called Set Free to Live Free. And what we're doing is we're looking at the Ten Commandments. If you have your Bible, if you would turn to the book of Exodus. To the book of Exodus. Now, I know we got the VBS stuff set up. It's actually a week early. Some of y'all may be panicking. Oh, no, it starts tonight. No, it doesn't start tonight. It starts uh, next week, but um, next Sunday, not this Sunday. But uh, so I don't know if you can see the screen that well, but if you have your Bible, you know, of course, have that available to you, okay? Uh, in just a moment, we're going to actually read that passage. But Exodus uh, chapter 20, keep this in mind, all right? The people in Israel... During that time of Exodus, 400 years in slavery. So everyone who was alive, their whole life was slavery, all right, from Egypt. After they were set free, here's the problem. While they were in the wilderness, they were still living as slaves. They were still looking to the past for their hope. Things were better in Egypt. Things were better. They've forgotten how bad slavery was. I, I, I fear 
that we fear the unknown future so much that we would rather live in the cell of slavery because we're familiar with it. And God wants us to be set free from that mindset, set from that, set free from that thought, set free from ourselves. Freedom, remember this, is not the ability to do anything you want. When we talk about freedom, it's not the ability to do anything you want because here's the problem. That freedom will conflict with the freedom of others because you may want to do something that's against the freedom of others. So let's get that mindset out. What is true freedom? True freedom, we have defined it as having the ability to choose to do the right thing. Freedom is knowing the one true God, which is what the Israelites needed so bad back then, and it's what you and I need so much today. They have struggled under the idols of Egypt for 400 years. They thought there was a different God to pray for every different need in their life. But then God breaks into the scene, sets 2.5 million people free, brings them to a mountain in the middle of the desert. And he tells them, I set you free so that you can live free. And these are my 10 commandments. These are my 10 guardrails for your life. You follow them, you will experience freedom. Freedom is knowing the one true God and living in right relationship with him and each other. That's what these 10 commandments tell us. How to know God, how to live in right relationship with him, And the last six commandments are how to live in right relationship with one another. Freedom is being able to accomplish the mission that you were called to do. That mission that gives your life purpose. Last week we talked about commandment number one. God opens up Exodus 20 and he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery. Out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord, personal name, covenant keeping God. I made a promise 500 years ago to a man named Abraham, and I am going to fulfill my promise. I am also God. I am Elohim. I'm powerful enough to do it, and I am doing it in your midst. I set you free. And because I, the one true God, set you free, if you want to experience true freedom, then worship the one true God. To worship anything else is at best second best. And it's worse. It's not freedom. It's slavery. When you have the ability to worship the one true God, and by the way, this one true God wants what's best for you. He wants best, what's best for your life. He wants his glory to be fulfilled, giving his children what they need. And yet, to choose any other God is a waste of life. It's disappointment, ultimately. Every other God will lead you to disappointment. Every other person or thing that you, that you lift up on the level of God will ultimately disappoint you. Husbands, your wives will disappoint you. I have disappointed my wife so many times. And I'm afraid I'm going to continue doing that. Because I am not God. 
And to put anything above above God or even on par with God is ultimately going to disappoint you and also eventually cause you to hate it. Let's not do that. Let's let God be God and we be his people. Commandment number two, that's today. Last week, who to worship? One true God. Today, what we need to know is how to worship. How to worship. Freedom, true freedom, is worshiping God the right way. That's what we want to do. So how do we worship God the right way? To us who are in this room right now, that's easy, right? Clearly, worship is simple. All we got to do is come to church on Sunday morning, right? That's the definition of worship, isn't it? Come to church on Sunday. Come to church on Wednesday. Listen, if church attendance is the standard for true worship, then listen, I eat at least one salad a week. So this right here is the epitome of a healthy body. No, it's not. Okay? You see the side? No, no, don't see the side view. It's not healthy. Listen, and we can't treat worship the same way. What is true worship? How do we appropriately worship the one true God? Well, there's three points I want to make about this. Three points. Listen, true worship of the one true God involves, number one, true worship accepts no substitutes. Accepts no... True worship cannot accept substitutes. Nothing can compare to the one true God and worshiping him. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. Exodus 20, verse 4 and 5. Listen to the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, an idol. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. That's a pretty uh, bold, clear statement. All right, commandment number one, no other gods before me. There's only one true God. Now here's how you're to worship me. Do not make idols. Do not, do not carve yourself images of me. Why is that the case? Well, Deuteronomy 4 kind of helps to uh, describe the context of what God is saying. Keep in mind, God is on the mountain speaking to all those millions of people. He says, have no other gods before me. Do not make idols. Do not carve images of me. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 15, here's what, here's the context of what went on. God says, therefore watch yourselves very carefully since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves. What well, God is saying this, the only thing that you noticed about me, yes, there was rumbling in the mountain, there was fire, there was a cloud, there was all that stuff, but you heard my word. You cling to my word. There's a lot to be said about that. And we'll, we'll break that down too. You heard his word. You saw no form. Do not make a form. Any type of form that you try to do will lessen who I am. Will take away from who I am. God is invisible. Nothing, nothing can accurately describe God. And yet we do that all the time. 
Think about it. What else compares to him? I don't know. Uh, Some of us, it's money. Money is our God. How do I know that? How do we know that? Because listen, what you worship is what you invest in. What you worship is what occupies your time. What you worship is what keeps you awake at night. What you worship is what gets you up in the morning. How many of us, I set my alarm, boom, whatever, uh, I don't know if it's a godly hour at all, but four o'clock or whatever. Uh, Some of y'all wake up at four o'clock because, man, you got to do your physical fitness, okay? You got to do your uh, uh, homework or whatever the case may be. You're cramming for a test, 4 a.m., not a problem at all. But what what about the days that you don't have to work out? What about the days where you don't have an exam? The only thing you have to do is have some time with God. Are you as motivated to get up to spend time with God? What does that tell us? To some of us, it's money. Money has become our idol. Fame. Some even look to the sun, the moon, and the stars. Well, we don't do that. Did you read your horoscope lately? Ouch. That's, that's meddling. Uh, uh, how about church buildings? You know what an idol is? An idol is something that you place as a mediator between you and God. So some of you walk into a church building and say, I feel so close to God right now. Really? The building made you feel close to God right now? What you're doing is you're attributing a church building to the presence of God. But God's presence is with the believer always. To some of us, it's art. To some of us, it's statues, Virgin Mary, saints. To some of us, it's our heart. Whatever my heart leads me to, that's what I'm going to devote my time to. To some, it's animals. To some, it's anything in creation. Listen. If none of those things can accurately depict God, stop worshiping them. Our God is described as a father God, not a mother earth. Is your definition of God that which makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside? If that's true, then you have an idol in your life. Because the the definition is from your own opinion. Versus the truth of God's word. One commentator says, Because God has no visible form, any attempt to represent God using images or outside of scripture ideas would produce a sinful, distorted picture of who he truly is. There is one true God. What we need to do is find out who he is so we can worship him appropriately. God says to stop following after idols. Stop following after things that, 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 run, that chase after your heart and your heart chases after. Listen, church, I'm speaking to believers here. Okay, listen very carefully. Your God has something very powerful to say about images. Very powerful to say. You are not to worship an image of God. Instead, you are called to be the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. 
When God created man, listen to what he says. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. What does this tell us? We're not to worship anything but God. We're to be the image of God. Which means this. We're not to worship each other or things. We're to be, we're to look like God. We're to act like God. We are to be so God look alikeness. I know that's a made up word. We're to so look just like Him that the world asks us questions. Questions like this Why do you talk differently than the rest of the people? Why, do you, why are you so quick to forgive? Why do you apologize whenever you make mistakes? None of us do. Why are you so open with me? Why, why do you desire my best? Why do you pray for me? And at that point, they see our good works. And the scripture says, and we point them to God. And he gets all the glory. So we're not to worship images. We're to be the image of God. How do we worship? You can't do it with flesh and opinion. You have to do it with spirit and truth. John chapter 4 verse 20 uh, says this. God is spirit. Actually verse 25. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not in flesh or opinion, but spirit and truth. What this tells me is that if I want to worship the true God, i got to know who he is. I've got to understand the truth about who he is. Can I know God fully? No, my mind is too small. I cannot know him fully, but I can know him truly. Because everything that he has revealed to us is true. And I can cling to that truth about who he is, about who he is not about what he desires. Can you imagine that? If you love God, you'll want to do what he desires. Well, how do I know what he he desires? I search that. I want to do what he desires. I used the example before. Imagine telling your kids, hey, uh, me and and the spouse, we're going to go out to eat, but here's what what we need you to do. Okay, I know that you you got the house all to yourself. We just need you to unload the dishes. All right? If you unload the dishes, man, that'll be great. Uh, less work for us when we get home. So we love you. Have a great time. We got a pizza in the fridge for you. Go have a blast. But please get those dishes done. You go on your date. Everything is wonderful. And so your kid, he's at home and he's like, man, I got pizza. I'm loving it. Watching the movie and stuff like that. You know what? I, my parents, they're pretty neat. I'm going to make them a way to go out on your date card. And so they get the, they get the glue, they get the, the paper, they cut up this heart thing. I love you, mom and dad. It's all beautiful, okay? They even put glitter just for extra pizzazz, okay? And so then they get this card, they put it on the desk. Boom, right there. So mom and dad walk in. What do they do? Oh, that's a beautiful card. Did you have a great time? Yay, yay. Did you get the dishes done? Well, no, but I made you a card instead. That's idolatry. When God tells us how to worship and we say, no, I got a better idea. That's idolatry. You want to know how to worship. We got to know God. We got to know what he desires and likes. Listen, it's good to spend 70, 80, 90 years in Bible studies. Memorizing 
what it means to make a disciple. And memorizing what the definition of a disciple. Memorizing the Great Commission. But if you do not share your faith, you're not worshiping God. If you're not calling upon him in trust and faith, you're not worshiping the one true God. If you're not seeking his face and the word of God to know him more, you're not worshiping the true God. But we know everything about our sports teams. Uh-oh. We know everything about our colleges that, that, we, that we celebrate. And we know all about them. We wear the gear. We have a blast. We, 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 we tell everyone about that. We tell everyone about our golf game. We tell everyone about those things that, that tickle our heart. Gets us so excited about life. But yet, never talk about God. What does that tell us? What does that tell us? Listen, there's only one true God and he desires and he deserves to be worshipped. So number one, true worship accepts no substitutes. Number two, true worship is exclusive. Oh, this is where it's going to get some people upset. When you talk about the exclusivity of worship, there's one God and you worship that one God the way that he calls you to. I'm not into that. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of y'all, it's acceptable for your spouse to fool around? Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your, please don't raise your hand. Um, you'd have a problem with that, right? Imagine on a wedding day. Okay, I'm standing up here. This is where I would stand if I'm getting married. Okay, and I look back and here the door opens. There's my wife with the person walking her down. That's exciting. Who is that? Is that that's her boyfriend. That's awkward. So, so what do you think will happen when he comes down with her? You think it's, hey bud, how you doing? <laughs> If I was okay with that, I don't love my wife. And yet we expect God to be okay with that. True worship is exclusive. Why? Because worship is intimate. Guys, we don't like to hear that word unless it's on a date night. But it's true. Worship is intimate. Look at... uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. We're not to have idols and stuff. Why? He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We have so humanized that word. Envious, that's one thing. That's, that's bad. Okay, the, the green with jealousy. No, this is a good word. Jealous is a good word. But before we get to that word, let's look at the other words. God uses, again, his personal name. We talked about that last week. The Lord to describe himself. He uses his personal name. Why? Because worship is personal. It's personal to God. And it should be personal for us too. Now the word jealous. God's jealous. Of course he is. And I am so glad that he is. Because jealousy. Right jealousy. Is proof of God's love for his people. We are his people. We 
who are called by his name, who have received Jesus Christ, we're his people, the people of Israel. Whenever they uh, put the blood on the doors of the walls, remember during the Passover, uh, just before they, they exited out of Egypt into freedom, they made a covenant saying, God, I put my faith in you to pass over us, to pass over our sin, to have a substitute take the blame. They entered into a covenant relationship with God. When they got on the mountain, read it, Exodus 19, 20, 21 and 22 and following, God makes a covenant with his people. If you're going to follow me, say, I'm going to covenant with you. I am going to lead you. I'm going to fulfill my promises in your life. But your role is to obey me and to follow me too. It's a joint effort here. It's a covenant that we have entered into. So the people said, you are the one God and we're going to worship you. And God said, good. And I'm going to hold you to it. Just like in a marriage, you covenant together. To say, in sickness and health, death do us part, all that stuff. You are mine and I am yours. We have an exclusive relationship. And we're going to be jealous for each other. We are going to love each other and no one else in that way. Israel covenanted with him. On that mountain, a marriage took place. Listen, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ... The scripture says you have entered into a new covenant with him through the blood of Jesus Christ. The picture of that is the Lord's Supper where God enters a new covenant, the New Testament with those people. So you and I are considered the bride of Christ. He is our husband. And listen, if guys, you think that's weird that, 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 that you're the bride of Christ? Listen, the women have to hear every week that, that we're all called to be men of God, okay? <laughs> Sons of God. So let's, yeah, let's just deal with it, okay? This is a beautiful thing for us. We have entered into a relationship with God that is exclusive. Your devotion to God should be to him alone. If not, you're an idolater. Or, or to put it a different way, you're an adulterer. To worship anything other than him. To put anything even on par with God is adultery. But here's the good part about jealousy. God's not going to put up with us being with other people, other uh, idols. Because why? Because God's love for us is described this way. He's going to be devoted to us. Do you realize that he will never leave you or forsake you? He is a God who will always be with you. He will care for you. He will bless our families and our friendships. Can you believe that? God is going to bless our families and our friendships. Just like with Abraham. When he says, all the other nations that that do well with you, I'm going to bless them too. I'm going to bless all the world because of Abraham. And because of the faith that Abraham has. But listen to this. God will also appropriately deal with our enemies. You hear that? Listen, every wrong that has been done to you will be vindicated because you have a jealous God who's going to love you and he's going to protect you. But listen, God will not have competition. He will not have competition for your heart. So again, let me ask you, who or what do you worship? How do I know? What do you submit to? 
What do you serve? Where does your time go? Again, where does your money go? What drives your heart? What drives your words? What drives your conversations? What keeps you up at night? And what wakes you up in the morning? That is your God. If God is not the center or the master of your life, then you have idols. And most of the time, let's be honest, the idol is us. And if right now you're feeling pretty convicted, well, join the group, okay? We're all there. The worst thing you can do is say, that's it. I am going to attack those idols. I am going to fight that. I'm going to attack all the idols in my kid's life. I am going to attack this. I'm going to dig up some. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. You know what you've just done? You haven't gotten off I yet. You're still an idol. The point isn't to squash the idols in your life. The point is to worship the God of your life. If you focus on worshiping him, those other things will take care of themselves. So I urge you, worship the one true God and do it in spirit and in truth. He's a jealous God. You know what, you want to know something interesting about idols? Your idols aren't jealous. Your idols aren't jealous. They don't care how many idols you serve. Oh, is it possible that your idols are purpose to lead you away from the truth? Is it possible that your idol, your little thing that may be a good thing, but you've made it a God thing and now it's a bad thing? Maybe, is it possible that that idol is not of God, but it's of Satan? Meant to distract you? Listen, your idol will say this, listen, number one in your life, man, have it your way. Number one in your life is your health, man. I mean, without health, you're nothing, right? Number one in your life is wealth. You want to be able to live uh, uh, well, don't you? You want to live well, so, so man, work, 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 work. And, and focus on your health. Others, focus on your popularity. Others, number one in your life should be pleasure. You only got a few years on this earth. You're not even promised that. So today, live for your pleasure. Let that be number one. Let your children be number one in your life. Okay, give everything to your children. Give it all to them. Let them be number one. Let self be number one. Because self is all you can really uh, manage. Self. God, it's okay. Let him be a close second. That's fine. That's exactly what idols want to do in your life. That's exactly what Satan wants to do in your life. Idols are not jealous. 1 John 2.16 says it this way. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is of the world. Uh, yeah, from the world. The world, that word there, doesn't just mean your, the earth, okay? It means the, the culture, the philosophy of the world that is opposed to God. I want you to see this passage in a different translation, the message translation, and listen to what it says, okay? Really helps to understand this passage. It says, practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. Do you see what your idols are doing? They're isolating you from the one true God. Idols say worship however you want. 
But God, the one who rescued you, the one who brought you from slavery and is seeking and desiring you to have freedom, he says, worship me alone. For he alone is worthy of exclusive worship. I ask you this question. Is your worship of God exclusive? I have no doubt that you worship God. You're here today. But is it exclusive? Is he number one? Now, not just number one. That, that, that's not good enough. Is he the center of everything? Is God number one in your workplace? Is God number one at your home place? Is God number one, number one at your play place? Is God number one here at church? Or is lunch number one right now? These are things we battle with. The idols are all around us. Is your worship of God exclusive? Which brings me to number three. There is a reason that God writes these commandments. It's not to stifle your fun. It's the opposite. It's to give you true freedom. So number three. Number three. Why we worship the one true God is because true worship is motivated by love and obedience. True worship is motivated by love and obedience. You love God, you're going to obey him. You love and obey him, that's worship. That is worship. It's not just songs that we sing. It's not just money that we give. And all those things are worship. We are to make a joyful sound. We are to give with a sacrificial and a joyful heart. Not to earn anything. See, idols have no problem giving you sacrifice as long as they don't have to sacrifice for you. But Jesus is the opposite. He calls us to give in sacrifice because he has sacrificed everything for us. And he calls us to join him to sacrifice so that other people can experience the freedom that you and I have experienced. True worship is motivated by love and obedience. Look at Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 5 and 6. Okay, God is a jealous God. And look, it says, he, avis- he visits the iniquities of the fathers of, on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Well, that sounds like motivation of love and obedience, doesn't it? <laughs> that sounds pretty rough. Well, before we get to understanding love and obedience, we almost have to see the opposite. John MacArthur says, the real motivation for idol worship is nothing less than hatred of God. God visits the iniquity, the sins of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. There are people that choose anything other than God, and that's hate. You can only have one master. You will either love the one or you will hate the other. The motivation for idol worship is nothing less than hatred of God. Listen, here's idol worship. We don't like the original. We don't like what God's word has to say about him. So what we'll do is we'll tweak him to fit our understanding. You know the problem with tweaking perfection If you tweak perfection, it's no longer perfection. We attempt to replace the true nature of God with a new and improved version. Here's some ideas you may have heard of. Israel tried to do this if you read in Exodus chapter 32. They didn't, they didn't create a golden calf to, in their minds, worship another God. They wanted a visible rep- representation of Jehovah God, of Yahweh. 
So they made a golden calf and said, this is our God. This is Yahweh. This is the one who rescued us out of Egypt. So now that we have a, a visible God, now we could worship and we could ask him to do our bidding. That's not the God of the Bible. But we do that. We, we, we always want to have caricatures so that we can somehow motivate them to do our will. Some of us believe in the prosperity gospel. Okay, they try to tweet God. They say God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. Totally dismissing the attributes of holiness in God and even suffering for us to grow in likeness of Christ. Some of us believe in the heart gospel. The heart gospel is this. God wants me to be happy and in love. God wants me to have my best life now. God wants me to have a pain-free life. That old saying, it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. My God would never take away love. The heart gospel. How about the offspring gospel? God wants my kids to be happy. So whatever they say, the answer is yes. How's that working out? Every time we tweak perfection, we destroy it. Every time. How about this? Love with no punishment. You have totally made God unjust. No, 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 no. That's not what I meant. What I meant was God is good, he's loving, and there's no hell, and God's just going to love everybody. He's unjust. That's not the God of the Bible. Some of us like the shack God. Uh Uh-oh. We love an author who writes a book, although it's fiction, But the intent of the author was to show you his vision of God, the shack God. You've read the book and you've watched the movie. Love above truth. When you read that, you find that God is very sentimental, yet God is ever-changing and unknowable. That is an idol. Galatians 1.6 says to accept any other truth, any other gospel, other than the one that is presented to you by the Apostle Paul, by the scriptures itself, is blasphemy, is heresy. And we have got to cling to the one true God, and we got to know him for who he says he is, not who we think he should be. Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6 says that visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Wait a minute. Is the Bible saying that our kids should be punished for our sins? No. No. God says it very clearly in Ezekiel and also in Deuteronomy and even in Numbers. He says clearly that you are accountable to your sins and your sins alone. But listen very carefully. Although your kids are not punished for your sins, they have to live with the consequences. And it'll affect them generation to generation to generation. Guess what? They learn how to worship from you. And if you worship idols, guess what your kids are going to worship? Idols. They're going to worship idols. But the opposite is true. Look at the rest of the passage. Yes, God will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. But... Here's another but in the Bible, and it's huge. Listen, but showing steadfast, immovable love to thousands of generations, to those who love me and those who keep 
my commandments. Do you see that? God, his desire is not to punish. Because in that, he says, man, that's going to affect you for three or four generations. But if you love me and you keep to my commandments, I am going to bless you to thousands of generations. Listen, there was a man in the Old Testament even before this book of Exodus. His name is Abraham. He was a messed up guy. You should read it. His kids were some messed up kids. We talked about this on Wednesday night as we went through Genesis. They were some messed up people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them. Messed up people. But because they believed in God and their faith was counted as righteousness, listen to me, God has promised to bless their offspring. And it's already happened for hundreds of generations because of their faith in God. So listen to me. If right now you look at your life and you're like, man, I have passed down idols instead of the one true God. Listen to me, there's hope. Right now, today, cast off those idols. Come back to the one true God. You worship him and teach your kids and your grandkids that there is one true God and that's the one that you are gonna worship and that's the one that you desire them to worship. And listen, God desires to pour out his steadfast love to anyone, to anyone who worships him in spirit and in truth, who loves him and keeps his commandments. Let me wrap this up. Listen, if you're worshiping anything other than what God says about himself and how to worship, you are living a lie. To worship a distorted view of God is to worship another God. In the church of of Corinth, Paul writes to them in 2 Corinthians 11. And some of the people there, they were using the right words. They worship Jesus, he says, but you're worshiping another Jesus. A Jesus that has been recreated in your mind, which ultimately is no Jesus at all. Listen, if you're living for an idol, you're living a lie. Your life is lived for a lie and it is a wasted life. Number two, if you're living in idolatry, whatever that looks like in your life, you're leading others to believe a lie. You're leading others to believe a lie. So be very careful what you teach and how you live because what you do is going to show the world a distorted view of God in your life. I close with this passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We are not to worship images, we're to be the image of God. And here's how Paul the apostle tells us how to worship. From chapters 1 through 11, he describes the majesty, the might, the power of God in his gospel, his good news, that Jesus Christ died for anyone who would call upon his name in saving faith. And Paul is so excited, he gets into worship in chapter 11. And then look at what he says in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. So now, after saying all that I've said about how amazing God is, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, meaning Christians, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be chasing after idols, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that happens as we get into his word, as we really spend more time in the Bible than we do on Netflix. Sorry, I'm talking to myself here. Okay, that means, that means in prayer and in study of his word more than any other thing. Then our minds will be renewed so that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to worship the one true God? Know him. Know him. And when you know him, obey him. So what keeps you at night? What keeps you up at night? What gets you up in the morning? What is it that you turn to instead of God to get what you want? All of these things will fail you and they will entrap you except Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. What does God look like? Look to Jesus. How can I have a relationship with God? He is utterly other than me. Come to Jesus. He is the one, he is the only one that is our mediator. Nothing else will do. I urge you, by the mercies of God, give yourself to Jesus today. He is the only one that can free you from sin, death, and hell. And not only does he free you for eternity, he can give you power today to be free from whatever it is, whatever it is that is enslaving you at this very moment. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you now because we need to. You're our only hope. You are our help. You are our saving grace. You are life. God, we want to worship you right now in spirit and in truth. God, what does that mean? God, to some of us, that means we need to give our heart and life to you this morning. We need to turn from ourselves. We need to, we need to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord of our life. God, to some of us, we have, we have been confronted with idols in our life, things that we have put before you. God, as a spiritual act of worship, we need, to, we need to put those things to death. We need to put those things at the altar. God, we believe that's the right thing to do. So God, we are going to worship you in truth and in spirit today. And we're gonna lay down those idols. We may have put them on the idol 10,000 times, but we need to do it again. God, today, some of us, we want to follow you and we have received you as Savior and Lord, but we have, not, we have not followed you in baptism. God, I believe that obedience is part of worship. And so God, I pray that if there's someone in here that needs to follow you in baptism, that they would come forward saying that they want to be baptized. Some may want to join the church. They feel led to be here where the word of God is preached, where relationships can be built, where service can happen for King Jesus, who alone is worthy of our worship. God, to others, it might be to not come to the altar, but come to the person next to them and to seek forgiveness. Some, it's to step out and to make a phone call, to write a relationship, because God, you are into mending relationships. You are, you are fighting for relationships, not hiding from them. God, you are God alone. There is none like you. There is none beside you. There is none above you. You are worthy of our worship, our love and obedience because you have poured out your love for us in ways that are incomprehensible. So God, I pray that in this very moment, we would do the right thing.
we would worship you in spirit and in truth. This is your time. Do it, God. Do it. Help us to celebrate your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.